0: The bottom line in business, Voice America business.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ray Warda. Uh, who is the CEO and founding member of Nextrogen and he is an expert in the whole market of commercial real estate. Welcome to the show, Ray. Great to be with you. Let's just start a little bit with your background in real estate so people get a sense of your level of expertise in the commercial real estate market.
3: Certainly. Uh, I've been in the commercial real estate business for all my working career, which is now just over 40 years. I work for uh, five different companies. Most recently, I was the CEO of CB Richard Ellis, which is the largest a commercial real estate service company in the world. They're in some 50 countries with 25,000 employees. Of late, uh, the last two years, I've been focused on a couple of specific, more personal real estate strategies, one of which you mentioned, which is Nexrogen.
2: Okay. So let's just start at the basics here. uh, and Tell people what is commercial real estate, what is included in commercial real estate, what is not commercial real estate. Uh, So let's just start with that.
3: Uh, Certainly. Uh, Commercial real estate would be broadly defined as any real estate which produces income. So that would include, we call them the four main food groups. That would include industrial property. That would include uh, retail shopping centers. That would include office buildings. And the fourth category of the major groups would include the uh, multifamily or apartment buildings. Now, there are lots of other kinds of commercial real estate, for example, hotels, uh, public storage, Uh, Even land, if it's held for uh, future commercial development, one of those food groups I talked about, would be considered uh, commercial real estate. The best way to think about it is what is not commercial real estate, and basically what is not commercial real estate uh, is single-family homes or condominiums. So things typically occupied by the owner to live in would not be commercial real estate. Effectively, everything else would be.
2: Now, do the commercial real estate markets and the residential real estate markets uh, work in tandem, or are there leads and lags? Or kind of. High, most people may be familiar with the residential market, and it's, it's in its decline right now. How does the commercial and residential markets kind of have different cycles?
3: Uh, certainly, the, the key difference is that the residential marketplace uh, is driven by uh, particularly, what I'll call it emotion. Uh, this is a place where people want to live, choose to live. They spend uh, most of their non-working hours at and it's a more visceral feeling about it. Commercial real estate is really uh, unrelated to that in the sense that commercial real estate is all about producing current income, in effect, a return on your investment. So commercial real estate uh, is an investment, and of course sometimes residential real estate is viewed as an investment, but the difference is that commercial real estate produces current income to go into your pocket, and therefore you're typically evaluating on a strictly economic basis as opposed to an emotional basis. Now, the things that drive the two uh, sometimes intersect, so if we have a poor economy, uh, all things being equal, at some point it will affect commercial real estate, uh, just like it affects residential real estate. On the residential side, if you own a piece of real estate and you're laid off from your job or you're nervous about your job prospect or nervous about your near-term income, you're probably very conservative relative to the house, you'd likely hope to stay in your house and also hope to avoid getting overextended. On the commercial real estate side, what happens is if there's a difficult economy and there are job losses, the key here is job losses, then if you think about it, since commercial real estate is occupied by people who pay rent typically in some sort of business, if there's a reduction in the number of people working in those buildings, there's more vacancy, it produces less income, and likely it's less valuable. So in the current environment, for example, it's kind of interesting. We all know the home market is doing very poorly. Uh, for a variety of reasons. One, uh, prices probably went up too quickly. Two, people are nervous about the economy. Interestingly, the commercial real estate market, broadly speaking, is actually doing quite well, because while job growth is modest of late, we do have job growth. So if you think about it, those buildings are as occupied today as they were a year ago or two years ago, and those, therefore, tenants can pay their rent and are willing to pay the rent to stay in their business. And so, Commercial real estate, for now, is doing uh, very well, although prices are likely softening, which we can get to later.
2: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about who is an appropriate investor in commercial real estate. I guess there's two basic ways to do it. There's actually buying properties yourself, or there's ways of doing it in pools through real estate investment trusts and other ways. Uh, Who who is an appropriate investor for the different kinds of commercial real estate uh, ways of getting into it?
3: Well, let me start with, Jordan, the fact that I think uh, everyone... uh, Ought to invest in commercial real estate, and let me give you a couple of reasons why. Then I'll get to the different ways to invest in commercial real estate. First, commercial real estate, as I mentioned at the start, is is based upon producing income, and so therefore the ongoing supply of commercial real estate is tied generally to the availability of people to occupy the space and pay current income. And so, in the long run, the growth in commercial real estate tends to match the growth in employment, and therefore. While you may have supply demand imbalances from time to time because it's less than a perfect market, over the long run it's a very rational economic investment. And it tends to mirror the growth in value in commercial real estate, it tends to mirror inflation. So inflation averages about 2 to 3 percent a year. Over the long run, rents will increase by about 2 to 3 percent per year. So it represents, I think, a good economic investment. And investing in commercial real estate. Uh, can be done in a great variety of ways. As you mentioned, uh, primarily you could own a piece of real estate yourself or you could invest in a company, whether it's a REIT, which stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, which are typically publicly traded and can be bought and sold in the stock market, just like a share of General Motors, and private partnerships, uh, where it's a group of people where it trades less frequently. So let's take the three categories, Uh, A, own it yourself. That's the least cost category in the sense of you pay the fewest fees and you have the most direct control. It obviously also is the one that requires you to give it the most attention. I started in business 40 years ago. I bought a duplex, and so I started getting calls on weekends about the water heater leaking. So you have to be prepared to you know, be actively involved with the property. As I say, though, it's the uh, least cost choice, that is, the fewest fees involved, and you have direct control of your situation. And anybody can own a piece of commercial real estate, uh, whether you buy it in total on your, as your own property, or you invest in a REIT, for example, you could buy a REIT share literally for $15. Uh, you can also invest in private real estate. Typically the minimums are higher, uh, it might be $1,000 in a private real estate investment. Now between the private and the REIT, that is the private entity and the REIT entity, the REIT entity, just like any other stock, you can buy and sell it on the public marketplace. Literally buy it today, sell it tomorrow, to typically very liquid marketplace. So those are positives. The negative is that you're typically investing uh, in a rather large entity and you really have no ability to clearly understand exactly what they're doing relative to the real estate strategy. It's a publicly run company, so it has a high level of fiduciary responsibility. But as far as the strategy and what exactly they're buying or selling, you're really just a spectator. But again, uh, that may not be a negative for some people. Then the third choice is the private entity, uh, typically as you described, a pool of people who get together to buy real estate. Uh, There, your fees would probably be the highest, uh, but you'd probably understand better what the portfolio was about because typically it's a smaller portfolio, and they would do a good job of telling you exactly what they're investing in. Uh, But again, there, your liquidity is rather limited. So if you want to sell your private pool partnership interest, uh, you'd have to probably go to the sponsor of the investment and see if they wanted to buy it or they knew of someone who might want to buy it. Those are really the three choices.
2: So typically, the less liquid, is it fair to say you're going to get higher returns if you have a smaller pool? There are fewer management fees and so on. And when you get to the publicly uh, traded REIT, it's much bigger and therefore you get more liquidity, but maybe at lower yields. Is that? That's I think
3: that's a correct observation, Jordan. Yes.
2: So that's the reason why you'd want to do a local uh, pool because there less fees involved. You get to keep more of the income from it.
3: Well, uh, l- let me clarify a bit. Depending on the kind of local pools, some have relatively, relatively high fees, even higher than public companies, and some have uh, fees that match the public companies. So you have to be selective about the ones you pick. But generally speaking, you're more in control of your destiny. You know more about the portfolio, and in theory, uh, they're they're kind of rifle shooting the opportunities because it's a smaller deal.
2: What kind of returns should people expect realistically? Uh, in commercial real estate over the long term, kind of average annual returns, just to set expectations correctly?
3: I think historically, and now I'm talking uh, 30 to 40 years over the truly long trend, uh, despite ups and downs, again, commercial real estate would typically return 4 or 5% plus the inflation rate over time, and much of that would be current cash income, and at some points there would be appreciation if you sold the property, but mostly it would be current cash income. Now, in today's environment, uh, interestingly, uh, the REITs, for example, for the last five years up until really the start of this year, returned about 20% plus per year, a combination of current cash dividends of about 6 or 7%, and the rest was appreciation in the stock. Now, this year, since February, the REITs are down uh, on, on average 33%, so clearly all of a sudden things have changed in terms of value. Now, they're still returning 8 or 9% current cash, but the... Appreciation component is turned negative. The private pools typically uh, offer seven to eight percent current cash pay, and they would tell you that likely over time you'd pick up another three or four percent a year in appreciation. So figure about ten percent a year. Private real estate, where you actually went and bought a piece of real estate yourself, of course, returns can vary substantially across the board. But if you use leverage, let's say you get a loan against the property at say fifty to sixty percent and your interest cost is less than the current income from the property, uh, with appreciation you probably realize uh, historically somewhere in the 10 to 12% range as well.
2: Yeah, so that compares pretty favorably with a lot of other investments you're saying. And I guess you're also saying that in an inflationary environment uh, you've got some protection because you can raise rents, um, and it's, it's not like a fixed income bond. You have potential upside in your income as well, if, if that's what's happening. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. And you can also use leverage with the real estate, which enhances your return.
2: Or, or it goes to the
3: other way as well. <laughs> well, it are it, it, right. If you, like any investment, if you leverage it 50%, uh, when it goes up by X amount, you get 2X. And when it goes down by X amount, you get minus 2X. So that's a good point. That's why leverage needs to be conservative.
2: Now, your sense of what's, you said the commercial real estate market's in general in pretty good shape now because uh, rents have, have held up. Um, is is that your your sense of what's going to be happening in 2008, that the uh, commercial real estate market's going to hold up a lot better than the residential market?
3: Uh, well, in, in a nutshell, yes, but let me explain that there are really two ways to think about the commercial real estate market. First, uh, you think about the rents, and so the rents, and then you think about the values. Let's talk about the rents. So rents right now are Flat to rising because we have limited new construction. Buildings are generally well occupied. And so even if there's only a small amount of net job growth, those people have to be somewhere to work. And so that would drive absorption of more space. So I expect rents to be stable to slightly up over the coming uh, 12 months. Now, values or prices, if you want to sell the piece of real estate as compared to just collect your current income, values have moderated a bit in the last six months in commercial real estate. When I say moderated a bit, I'd say down by 5% or so. And the general expectation, mine included, is is that over the next 12 months, they will moderate further by another, say, 5 to 10%. So what's happening here is even though the income from the real estate uh, is the same or slightly higher this year than last year, uh, people are, are assigning a higher risk ratio, frankly, to most investments, including real estate. And so they require a higher return To pay the same amount. So, in other words, if rents stay the same, let's say 6% of value, and they want a higher return, that means the value is likely to go down a bit.
2: Okay, Ray, we have to take a break. This is very interesting. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show with Ray Werder, uh, who's a commercial real estate expert. We'll be back after this.
3: The
0: Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
4: You hear business show after business show, all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
1: Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
0: the internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ray Wurda, who is the CEO of NexroGen, which is a uh, commercial real estate operation we'll hear about uh, in Texas. Uh, He was also the former CEO of C.B. Richard Ellis. Uh, which is one of the largest real estate services companies in the world. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Thank you, Jordan. Let's just talk about your uh, project here, NexroGen, a little bit. Uh, as I understand, it's basically a real estate uh, project in the Texas area. Uh, tell me uh, why you're doing this and a little bit about it.
3: It'd be my pleasure. NexroGen represents a a very important project for me, something I've thought about for a number of years, and now that I have a bit more time on my hands, I've devoted quite a bit of time and energy to it, that the basic concept of Next Virginia is to allow uh, people who otherwise wouldn't have the ability because of the dollar requirements to invest in commercial real estate to do that, and do that basically over the Internet. So I've taken two concepts. I've taken the concept of investing in commercial real estate, which, as we described earlier, I think is an excellent choice as part of a person's diversified portfolio, and now I've married that with the ability to buy things over the Internet, i.e., specifically you can invest in Nextrogen uh, over the Internet, and you, and you actually don't need to, although you can uh, interface with a live person, you don't need to to complete your investment as well as track your investment.
2: And this is a liquid or illiquid investment?
3: Well, it's a, again, interesting point. Uh, there's a couple of things that make this a unique offering in addition to the use of the Internet. And, and by the way, just for your listeners' uh, insight, uh, it's Nextrogen, which is... N-E-X-R-E-G-E-N. is Nexrogen.com, and Nextrogen stands for Next Real Estate Generation. The site's live, and they can go to it at their convenience.
1: Okay.
3: Uh, but coming back to what's unique about it in response to your question, uh, number one, w- we have bought a single retail property in Texas, and we now own that 100%, and so we are, through Nexrogen, allowing people to invest side-by-side, with us in the piece of real estate. So, in this situation, before they buy, they know exactly what piece of real estate we're talking about, what, as you'll see on the site, what it looks like, what its current tenants are, what the income is, what the prospects are, what the current dividend pay is. So, number one, you know exactly what you're getting into. Uh, two, in regard to liquidity, uh, and by the way, the minimum investment size is $2,500. In regard to liquidity, we offer a one-year, uh, no-questions-asked, money-back guarantee. So if you invest in extrogen today and literally tomorrow, uh, that's assuming we got your check and it cleared, literally tomorrow you said, look, I just changed my mind for whatever reason. We write you a check the next day for the $2,500 you invested and we send it out to you. So you have instant and immediate and full liquidity, no-questions-asked, for the first 12 months. Uh, after that, uh, we'd have to find you a buyer for your unit, which we think would be uh, actually quite easy because we're paying a current yield of 8%. Uh, And in the end, we'll sell the property in three or four years, and and that assures everybody full liquidity at the latest at that point in time.
2: And tell me about the property. What is the property it's invested in?
3: Uh, Well, it's a shopping center located in uh, a suburb of Texas, Dallas, Texas. The shopping center is is called Firewheel, and it's located in Garland, Texas, which is an up-and-coming growing area. It's about 150,000 square feet, has six tenants. It's 100% leased. very attractive. Uh, looking project, big parking lot, nice new building faces. It's in an area where they're building a lot of other non-competitive, but complementary commercial retail, including a very, very large shopping center. There's a freeway extension going by. As I say, it's paying a current uh, 8% yield out to its investors, and uh, we paid about seven dollars a foot for the center, and we think that. I'm sure the current rents are about $7 a foot for the center. And we think that probably if we had to release it, they're probably in the 10 to $12 range. So it's good, got good long-term appreciation as well.
2: So potentially that 8% yield could go up, you're saying?
3: Yeah, likely will go up. And then we're just to give you a flavor for what it would take to double your money, we're not, of course, saying you can double your money. But uh, math- mathematically, with the 8% yield and if rents go up by the 2 to 3% per year inflation rate that I mentioned earlier, uh, you would double your uh, equity investment uh, in just under uh, four years.
2: And can you reinvest the 8% back into more shares? Uh,
3: you certainly can. We, uh, that would be a great opportunity to do it. So how much is each share? Uh, well, each share is uh, $10, but the minimum investment is $2,500. And so uh, for an investor who wanted to dedicate all their dividends to reinvestment, we, we could make that accommodation, but just selling them, in effect, $10 at a time, we would not do Just too much paperwork. Now, interestingly, on the site, by the way, uh, if you go to the site, you'll you'll find it quite entertaining. You'll see a small man on the right-hand side of the corner waving his arms and talking. That'd be me. Uh But more importantly, uh, you can go on the site and you can learn all about the property, including the current cash flow and the rents that are being paid and all the operating information. So, again, the ideal situation. You can use your credit card to buy if you care to. You go on the site, you like it, you buy. You can also there's a telephone number there where you can call and uh, learn more about the property. And by the number
2: while you're at. What is the number? uh,
3: That number is 888-888-749-3026. Okay. Uh, This offering uh, is just for, by the way, Texas residents, and I'll explain why that's the case. Uh, As everyone is aware on the call, I'm sure there are uh, state securities laws as well as federal securities laws. Anytime you're offering an investment opportunity to a number of people, typically beyond hundred. You have to comply with all those regulations. So in the state of Texas, we 100 percent comply and have approval by the state regulatory authorities to make this offering. But we have to limit it at this point just to people who actually reside in the state of Texas. I know all your listeners don't reside in the state of Texas, but for those that do, uh, they should definitely go to the site.
2: And and why is it that you're limiting it? Just because of regulatory, you don't want to have to file in all the other states?
3: Yes, because we want to make sure we prove out the concept, make sure the website works very effectively. We know the property is terrific, but we want to make sure the mechanics work to the benefit of our investors before we expand the program.
2: And how much would you want to raise uh, in order to be fully subscribed for this?
3: Uh, We're we're going to retain 10%, no matter how much demand there is. And so we need to raise $2,750,000, uh, we'll retain $250,000. The total equity invested at the moment is $3 million.
2: And what do you think the property is worth today? You just bought it, I know, but what do you think it's worth?
3: Uh, well, it's, pro- it's a function of cap rates, and so I'm not, predict- I'm not telling you it's worth this, but I think we're probably up about uh, 15% since we bought it.
2: Uh-huh. Let's explain cap rates, because that's something that people hear about in real estate, but the average person might not understand how, what, what a cap rate is.
3: No, Excellent question. I apologize for using a word. About, right. but a cap rate stands for capitalization rate, so it's a simple mathematical formula uh, where you take the uh, value of the property and you divide the income into it, and that tells you basically the property is trading at X amount times its annual income. So to keep it simple, if you bought a property for a million dollars, and it was producing income of $100,000 a year, that would be a 10-capitalization rate property. So if you think about it, uh, if you bought a million-dollar property and the cap rate was 12, then it's producing $120,000 a year. And if, you, and if you bought one that's producing $800,000, I'm $80,000 a year, it's, it's, a, it's an 8-cap rate. So basically the lower the cap rate, the higher the value of the property given a steady income stream. So when people talk about commercial real estate values and they talk about cap rates going up, which is the talk these days, that's not a good thing for real estate values. That means that if the income is flat, then the value is going down by some amount. When people talk about cap rates declining, that's good for real estate, commercial real estate, because that means that for a given set of income, uh, the value is actually going up. And so, for example, the last uh, more or less four years, cap rates have been declining. You've been reading about that in all the popular press. And at level income, values have been going up, but of course incomes have also been going up, which is one of the reasons that property values on the commercial side have escalated so uh, quickly in the last four or five years.
2: So how does the uh, 8% you're talking about compare to other similar kinds of commercial risks Is that right above what most people could get, or is that...
3: You know, yes, that, that's a, that's above what most people could get. Uh, in addition, our property is 100% leased with long-term tenants, and so we believe that 8% is The current cash pay 8% is uh, quite stable. Most programs uh, offer 7% or less. Uh, We're at 8%. We're actually earning 10%, but we're only distributing 8% because we want to keep a little in the kitty, which we Mm -hmm. think is a conservative approach.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. hmm Okay. Um, And is offering these on the Internet uh, a unique thing in the real estate business? Has that not been done before?
3: That that has not been done before. I I find it a bit ironic uh, that it hasn't, but everything else gets bought and sold over the Internet. But I do do believe it's a coming thing, Jordan. I think I've been in commercial real estate all my business career. I I love the business. Uh, Interestingly, over those 40 years, I've seen the cost of transacting in the business come down as financing techniques got more effective. as as information became more available, people tended to buy more and more commercial real estate, but it's still difficult to buy and sell individual assets. Uh, It's a lot of work and effort. It's a very imperfect market. When the Internet hit the scene uh, in a big way six, seven, eight years ago, uh, the real estate business benefited like lots of other businesses because information became much more available and much less expensive to get. We could uh, routinize much of the transaction process and reduce costs, further reduce the time. But still, we remain pretty much in the dark ages because each piece of real estate is unique. Even two pieces of real estate that are, say, six-story office buildings across from each other on the same corner will have different diets because the tenants are different and therefore paying different rents. But I'm, I'm a firm believer that someday, and I can't tell you when this will be, but someday that it will be as easy to buy a piece of real estate in China as it is in Chicago if you're a U.S. investor. And I believe that doesn't mean you'll buy more real estate in China and less real estate in Chicago it simply means you'll buy more real estate globally. I do believe that real estate's an asset class that people like to own, and they demonstrate that over the years, and certainly some of these new developing economies like India and China love to invest in real estate. But keep in mind, the supply of commercial real estate is finite. Again, it's driven by job growth because it needs to be income-producing. So you'll have a 1% or 2% growth in commercial real estate per year over the long run, uh, and that's it. And so as there's more wealth directed to commercial real estate, those assets that exist become a bit more valuable year by year. And so there's an underlying value increment being created in real estate on top of the inflationary aspect and on top of the job. Board. And I think that will be facilitated by using net. So I'm pretty excited about the prospects for creating an opportunity for, frankly, people who, are, who typically would not invest in commercial real estate because they didn't know enough about it or... The investment requirements were so high they didn't think they could invest in it. But someday, just like we trade shares of stock on the New York Stock Exchange, we're going to trade shares of buildings on a to-be-developed real estate exchange. And I hope that Nexogen, whether it's a giant then or just you know doing a good job in a certain size range, uh, will be considered one of the pioneers. So I'm, I'm very personally enthused about this prospect.
2: So is this happening uh, to some extent now that uh, commercial real estate properties are being... Uh, not exactly traded, but listed and, and you know, buyers getting interested and so on on the Internet and, and broadening the market for commercial real estate as a result of that?
3: Yes, that's a, that's a good observation. The, the marketplace in general, the buyers and the sellers, you know, while they're historically used to paper files and you know, going out and see the property at some length and walking the floors, uh, every year they get a little more used to using the Internet to make deals. Now, now, these are the big investors, the big buyers and sellers that you know are active in the marketplace every year. But as they become more acclimated and realize the benefits of trading over the internet, I think it'll drive the development of further technology, get people more comfortable trading over the internet, all of which contributes to the kind of world I'm talking about somewhere out there in the future where, again, real estate trades like shares of stock. Very good.
2: All right. We're having a very interesting talk with Ray Werner. Ray is the founding member of NextRegen. NextRegen.com is their website. Uh, He's also the former CEO of C.B. Richard Ellis, uh, which is a large real estate services company. Uh, And we'll be back after this talking more about commercial
0: real estate. The Bottom Line in Business. Voice America Business.
2: voice america business
4: you hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line but what about your bottom line how come no one ever talks about that finally a show dedicated to the worker the crow show with paul mclaughlin the work wonk heard every wednesday at 10 a.m pacific time the crow show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment from work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk, heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
1: both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
0: the internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ray Wertha. Uh, who is the uh, CEO of Nextrogen, which is a new generation real estate uh, trust uh, based in Texas. Uh, he was the former CEO of CB Richard Ellis, which is a very large real estate services uh, company. Uh, welcome back to the show, Ray. Thank
3: you, Jordan.
2: Let's talk about some more general uh, things in the uh, commercial real estate uh, market. I'd like to just briefly go through your outlook in some of the different uh, food groups, as you call them. Uh, let's start with retail. Uh Now, maybe define what retail is. Is that shopping centers or strip shopping centers? And and what is the outlook? If retail sales are going to be weaker here with the economy contracting, uh, what is that going to do to the value of real estate properties and income from retail?
3: Well, it it won't be good. Uh, uh, That's clear. So let's talk about retail. Retail encompasses uh, all different types of store operations going from very small shopping centers, maybe a corner gas station, a couple of little stores, to neighborhood shopping centers, which would have a grocery and drug store, to medium to large uh, shopping centers, which are typically covered in maybe a million square feet or larger with the usual anchors that we all know so well. So in general, if there's less demand for the real estate, in this case, retail real estate, because people aren't shopping as much, or if they're shopping, they're not spending as much, then stores will uh, reduce their growth plans, and in some cases, accelerate store closure plans, both of which would not be positive news for retail real estate. Uh, so I think, and certainly a number of chains have announced they're going to reduce their expansion plans and in addition uh, close some existing stores. Retail sales for softs are soft, so not interested in paying any rent increases. In a number of cases, rents are based upon a percentage of sales, which further exacerbates the challenge. So of the four main food groups, uh, that is retail, industrial, office, and multifamily, which are apartments. I think retail has the weakest fundamentals in the near term. Uh, so uh, I'm not saying don't invest in retail. I'm just, just generally speaking, they have the weakest fundamentals. Although the impact will be different. People continue to go to the grocery store, continue to go to the drugstore, will certainly continue to shop for their basic needs, but they're not going to be as anxious to spend meaningful dollars as they might have last year in the big retail malls. But it's a very resilient business, and people, of course, have to spend X amount. Uh, for their basic needs, and that will continue to happen. But definitely, definitely the softest of the four groups. Y-
2: yet, uh, Nextrogen is pretty much in the retail space. So
3: well, think but, it's but, but again, it's a good point. Real estate, uh, every piece of real estate is unique. So in the case of Nextrogen, it has it's fully leased, so it has no vacancies to worry about. The current rents are below uh, the current market rents in the area by a meaningful amount. And so even if our rents were to soften, and even if we got a vacancy, we could actually release it for more than we're currently collecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, you know, again, we think our particular piece of property is well-positioned, but I did want to be responsive to your general question. But thanks for clarifying that.
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so retail would not be your favorite area to invest in right now because of the, the kind of consumer economy being weaker. And, and has there, in general, been overbuilding of retail?
3: No, no. Retail has actually been quite rational. Uh, the benefit is retail typically is a, a short-cycle construction compared to, say, office. So that means that when, developers get a sense that the market might be softening, they they immediately slow down the development, and so the oversupply situation rarely occurs, so we're in pretty good shape there.
2: Uh Okay. The second one would be office. Uh, Now, this would be uh, not only large office buildings in in big cities, but also medium and smaller size office buildings, medical offices, those kind of things, I guess. Yes. What is the outlook? Is is office more uh, stable than retail typically?
3: Well, uh, the answer would be yes. It's, it's less subject to uh, kind of short-term consumer expectations because office is typically populated by companies doing business, and they're looking at typically a longer time frame than, than you know, next month's paycheck, and so they have, they have broader thinking about that. Office uh, requirements, and therefore the value of office space, is driven by, uh, in particular, employment. And so really a key to where you think the office fundamentals are is, is there going to be job growth coming in 2008? And then you overlay that with what's the new supply look like. So on the supply side, uh, office construction, uh, new construction has been very constrained now for about the last year and a half. So it's been challenging to get commercial loans. That will only get more difficult to build office buildings, and that actually helps all existing office building owners. And I would say as long as uh, is there is theres there is even a modest amount of job growth. So, For example, December job growth was 18,000 jobs, which was way down from the you know average from the earlier part of the year and way down from previous years. But frankly, if you just got 18,000 jobs a month for the next 12 months, office rents would likely uh, stay flat or go up, which means the values would hold pretty well. So I'm pretty bullish on office because I do think there will be a modest job growth.
2: And, then, and you're saying there's not that much more supply, so in general, absorption rates are pretty good on office now?
3: Yes. Yes, and vacancies continue to decline and rents continue to go up even as we speak in most marketplaces.
2: Hmm. Okay. The next one is industrial, and those would basically be factories or...
3: Yeah, well, in, the, in the old days, it was primarily all factories manufacturing a small amount of warehouse and distribution, but really in the last 10 years since so much has been offshored in terms of manufacturing, uh, industrial is primarily uh, small business users in single-story buildings or distribution and warehousing where they're storing things or storing them, sorting them and sending them out. And so uh, it's, again, impacted by job growth. So if there's some modest job growth, industrial will be uh, okay. Also, the supply of industrial is pretty well matched to the demand because, again, it's a short-cycle product. Industrial developers are very sensitive to job growth and demand, and it takes about six to eight to nine to ten months to build industrial buildings. And so if you sense it's going to be a soft economy, and you're and you're smart, which most of these people are. You stop developing, so we have a very rational relationship between supply and demand. And again, if we have job growth, which is, which I predict we will have a modest amount, then we'll be fine. Again, rents uh, vacancies flat, slightly declining, and rents uh, flat to slightly up.
2: Are, are there some industries where there's more? Just I mean, you think of the car companies, uh, you know, closing down all kinds of capacity, and that would ripple through the auto parts industry, I would assume. Yeah,
3: but the auto parts industry, as you might recall from some of the headlines the past couple of years, has been in trouble for some period of time, basically massively excessive capacity in the face of what now looks like a historical decline in volume, and so a number of them have gone through bankruptcy. So they have basically rationalized all their real estate needs some time ago, and they're frankly a much less vibrant, I should say a much less meaningful component of the American economy than they once were. So you're right, it's that it's a declining business with challenges but not much impact on industrial consumption.
2: So, so what are some of the rising businesses in the industrial area? Uh,
3: telecom and medical, any kind of biotech, any kind of research facility. Uh, telecom is back, as we all know from looking at some of these stock prices. Uh, internet-based businesses that are using, that are using industrial space as their, as their startup area, which most of them do, because of the low rents. Uh, so it, generally it's a very broad-based uh, sector. A lot of industries are in support. Warehouse distribution continues to grow, particularly in the port cities.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Very good. So that's industrial. And then the fourth uh, food group, as you call it, is apartments. Yes. Now, now I would think that those would have benefited uh, by people not being able to afford housing or being kicked out of their housing by being foreclosed upon. But tell me what's happening in the apartment buildings now.
3: Well, well there's, there's two factors at work. One positive, uh, which is the one you described, and one negative. So the positive one is that you know people are no longer getting those low-rate deals or taking on more financing than they could otherwise afford to buy a house. Uh, they're going to stay in those apartments, and those people that might have otherwise coming out of college might want to buy a house to get advantage, take advantage of the real estate opportunities at the residential level won't be buying a house. Uh, on the other hand, interestingly, of course, as you know, there are a number of unsold houses because sales have slowed down. There are a number of people being, unfortunately, evicted from their homes because of the financing uh, they can't handle the financing anymore. And so that that creates some additional, in effect, rental properties as investor buyers buy those houses or banks foreclose in the interim have to find somebody to pay the rent to cover some of the costs. Uh, my own view, and I've been through a number of these housing cycles, particularly living in California, I see them upfront and personal, is that, you know, frankly, the net is that it's better for multifamily apartments in the current situation. That is, the, the positives outweigh the negatives, really for the reasons you outlined, is that you know, people, there, there is ongoing growth in population in the U.S., kids coming out of college want to get their own uh, place to live, and they'll be renting apartments as opposed to buying homes. And, again, the par- apartment supply supply is also quite rational. It's, it's quick to stop and start apartment construction, and those builders are very close to the cycle. So. I see rents continuing to rise. I would frankly see the apartment sector uh, as as the best of the four food groups on a broad basis, just for that reason.
2: For, for the longer term, you think I mean the, you think the residential market is going to be continued in a downtrend, and that would continue to help the the rental mar- market. You're saying is that right?
3: Yes. I, I I wish it wasn't in downtrend, but since it is, yes, that will help the that will help the rental market.
2: What what kind of rates can people get on rentals? As far as you know, buying apartment buildings or what kind of. Uh, yields are they typically earning in, in the apartment space these days?
3: Well, on, a, on an all-cash basis, their yield, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting that if you go to a place like San Francisco or downtown L.A. or any densely metropolitan area on either coast, uh, yields are very low. That is, if you bought a, an apartment building all-cash, uh, you might be getting a 4 or 5% yield. Now, if you bought in a, a less dominant Uh, area of population, you might get a 6 or 7% yield, but they're they're historically still quite low, I think, for the reasons I outlined. So the reason you might accept a lower yield, by the way, this goes for all real estate, uh, in in a better-located project, is basically you believe the possibilities of appreciation are greater than in the tertiary marketplace. So even though your current cash flow is, say, only 4% if you buy a big project in San Francisco, historically you know that San Francisco real estate has appreciated faster than real estate, say, in Sacramento, where you might be able to get a 6% yield. So that's why buyers will pay less, because they believe the non-current income component will outweigh the other property, and then the total return will be higher.
2: And do you agree that that will continue, that you think you'll get higher rates of appreciation in bigger cities than smaller places, in apartments?
3: Y- yes, I believe that, because what, what's been demonstrated over time is that it's more difficult to build projects in more densely populated areas. It's more expensive to build them, and so... The competitive bar
2: is higher. I see. Very that. good. All right. We've just covered the retail, the office, the industrial, and the apartment building uh, section of commercial real estate. Hope you're all enjoying this great education about the whole commercial real estate market. My guest this hour is Ray worda uh, who's the CEO of NextRegen. Their website is nextragen.com. He's also the former CEO at CB Richard Ellis. Uh, we'll be back after this
0: with more on commercial real estate. Bottom line in business, Voice America Business.
1: Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The winner's attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The winner's attitude. Switch me
0: on. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business.
2: You've
1: been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ray Werta, uh, who is the CEO of Nexogen, which is a Texas based uh, real estate operation. He was formerly the CEO of. At CB Richard Ellis, uh, the largest real estate services company in the world. Welcome back, Ray. Thank you, Jordan. Let's talk a little bit about the current uh, real estate market now, uh, particularly as it relates to financing. Uh, We've had a a big credit crunch here. Uh, The banks are taking multi-billion dollar write-offs on uh, mortgage-backed securities. Uh, You're seeing downgrades of uh, the insurance uh, companies that were backing mortgage-backed securities. Just a general huge credit crunch. How is that affecting the commercial real estate market?
3: Well, it's definitely affecting it. Uh, even though, as I mentioned earlier in the call, the fundamentals are good in commercial real estate. People are extremely nervous about uh, commercial real estate owners' ability to pay on their current loans, and lenders are very concerned about their exposure in the commercial area. Uh, even though, as I say, foreclosures in commercial real estate remain at record lows, and fundamentals remain good. It, you know, investor psychology is investor psychology, and. Frankly, even some banks who might be otherwise bullish on commercial real estate have such difficulties on the residential mortgage side that they simply are constrained in their ability to act in the commercial area. So the result of all that is that the financing available for commercial real estate is substantially reduced from just eight months ago. I would say the capacity to make loans is down by as much as 40 to 50 percent. And so you have much less financing available, rates are meaningfully higher, and importantly, the amount of financing on a property, we call it loan-to-value ratio. The amount of financing, which six months ago, or I should say now, eight months ago, might have been on average seventy-five to eighty uh, percent, is much more down in the fifty-five to sixty percent range, and that has a particular impact on values. M-
2: meaning that the banks want you to put up more money to, to do a loan because they want to take less risk that way.
3: I- I- exactly, and in addition, they want a higher rate on the on the lesser amount they do put up, and so it gets you in two ways: you have to put up more cash out of your pocket and you have to pay more of the current cash flow toward the loan payment, even though you borrowed less.
2: So you're saying that that's uh, limiting new developments uh, of commercial real estate because of that?
3: Yeah. So, so again, think about the commercial real estate business. Those in the development business are particularly constrained. Interestingly, owners of existing real estate are benefited by the fact that there's less new construction coming on board. However, if you're an owner of an existing piece of commercial real estate, and let's say you got a loan, uh, let's pick a time, two years ago, Let's say it was a $10 million property, you easily got an $8 million loan that might have cost you 5.5% as an interest rate, and uh, that that loan then represented 80% of the value of the property, but you only got the term of three years because you thought real estate values would go up some more so you could refinance out and get even more money. So now you got a year to go on that loan, and guess what? When that loan comes due in December of 2008, you won't be able to get a new 80% loan you might be able to get a 60% loan, and it won't cost you 5% in change. It might cost you 6.5%. So you have to do, even though the property is actually earning more today, that is the rents are higher than they were three years ago, and you're well-occupied, uh, you're going to have to take some cash out of your pocket uh, to put down to get a new loan. And I think that's one of the concerns in the commercial real estate sphere from the lender's perspective and some of the investors in the lender's perspective is, well, gee, if they don't have the extra $2 million to take the loan from $8 million down to $6 million, uh, at, which is the level you'll make the new loan at, what's going to happen? So I can, you can understand that reason uncertainty now. The good long-term news, by the way, is that the property is still well-occupied and rents are being paid more than adequate to cover all of the debt service obligations, even at the higher loan amount. So even if you're the bank and you, for some reason, had to foreclose on that property, Your loan, in effect, is good. On the other hand, you have to foreclose the property and you stop getting current loan payments, and that's not good news for banks. So there is an overhang of uncertainty and concern about how some of these short-term commercial loans will be dealt with. I have a point of view about that, which is that there are a number of people interested in investing in the commercial real estate loan market, particularly hedge funds, who look over and say, well, gee... Let me put myself in that owner's shoes. So let's say Jordan you owned a 10, you were the guy you owned this 10 million dollar office building you had mm-hmm. this eight million dollar loan you had plenty of income coming from your rents. The loan comes due and your lender says, well gee Jordan, uh, happy to renew your loan but I want another two million dollars reduced off the loan balance so give me two million dollars and you say I don't have two million but I have two million of equity to protect remember I have a 10 million dollar building still worth 10 but I need financing at eight and I can only get six. Well, guess what? These hedge funds will come to you and say, gee, Jordan, I'll lend you that $2 million now. It might be a bit more than 7 percent. It might be 8 percent or 9 percent or it might be 10 percent. But guess what? You'll be happy to take that additional financing because you want to continue to protect your equity in the property. And so there'll be quite a bit, I think, of capacity, but it will be more expensive.
2: Did a lot of uh, building owners uh, leverage themselves up during the good days? Uh, similar to what uh, uh, residential homeowners did as far as taking on home equity loans taking cash out of their properties based on kind of aggressive assumptions of how their business would do and now if their business is turning down are they in trouble is, is that is there a similar correlation to what's happening in residential?
3: Yes yes there is although it's a very small percentage of people that did that I'd say of the hundred percent real estate universe uh, probably sixty five percent is owned by this commercial real estate owned by institutional owners who use a modest amount of leverage, 40%, 50%, in some cases, no leverage, and so they're, they're unimpacted by the current malaise. Uh, there's another 10% that are probably, just like you described, uh, individual real estate owners thought the good times would go on forever. Why not get some tax-free cash by, in effect, increasing the loan amount? And, uh, and they did that, and so some of them may be in trouble as they can't refinance out and they can't find a handy hedge fund to loan them the, the marginal equity. Then the rest would be primarily uh, private real estate financing vehicles and buying vehicles, like some of the pools that we talked about that went in and bought with high leverage. Uh, so they bought with 85 or 90% leverage because they could get the financing. And of course, then they could have their equity go farther. Instead of buying one building, they could buy two or three or four buildings. And so they're also levered up. But they, they were new buyers as opposed to, to refinancing out to create the leverage. But the same issue for them. They're going to face some challenges.
2: Yeah. Uh, One other thing I'd want to talk about is 1031 exchanges. Maybe just briefly describe what that is and how somebody who has a commercial real estate property might use one.
3: Yes, the 1031 stands for a section of the IRS code, and so that's short for that section. And that section, simply put, provides that uh, if you own commercial real estate and you sell it for a profit, you can use the 1031 mechanism to defer the payment of taxes on that profit by trading, in effect, your proceeds from the sale into another commercial property. And there's a whole business of 1031 exchange entities who facilitate that exchange. So you bought a building for 10 million; it's now worth 15. You've got a five million dollar profit. You would owe 20 percent tax on that. But if you bought, in effect, another 15 million dollar building through the 1031 exchange process, you would defer the taxes. So in effect, you'd get to reinvest those other, those dollars otherwise put in taxes. So it has
2: to be a like-kind property, or, or can well, we get a commercial it, it, property? it
3: has to be a like-kind property. But that that, that definition of like-kind was broadened. Uh, substantially in the last couple of years by the IRS, so it's almost any kind of commercial real estate property. So it's really facilitated the 1031 exchange market. It's why it's grown, has grown so exponentially. The challenges are that you have to identify the property that you're going to buy before you sell your current property. Typically, people have a list of five or six, and then you have to close on a new property within a specified time period uh, after you sell the other property. So there are con- some constraints, but for those that want to save the taxes, I should say defer the taxes, uh, is definitely a good opportunity and as I say if there's a complete business out there at 1031 exchange people who facilitate you're doing that to make sure you don't violate the laws
2: and, Once, and when do you ultimately you do have to this is deferring this is not eliminating the taxes do you ultimately have to pay the taxes when you die or what I mean yeah this well, well go forever, when, right
3: <laughs> again, again in commercial real estate depending on whether you're married there may, may be an ability to defer it until your spouse dies but uh, otherwise when you die you pay those taxes but if you think about it if you avoid if you defer the 20% taxes, over five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, every time you every time you do a deal, uh, that could be a substantial additional earnings on your uh, on your capital.
2: Yes, yes.
3: So the one comment I make about 1031s is that it was a big rush to get in the business the last couple of years, and I do believe uh, some 1031 buyers have overpaid because the thought of the tax savings so enamored them that they're basically willing to pay what I viewed as an excess price for the, for the property they traded into. Uh, but that's, that's the minority. You, just need to be, you have to think thoughtfully about it, but it's definitely a good program. Very
2: good. All right, well, this has been a fascinating course on uh, commercial real estate with Ray Werder, uh, who's the uh, CEO of NexroGen. Uh, if you want to find out more about his properties in Texas and his offering, it's com N-E-X-R-E-G-E-N. And just tell people the phone number they can find out one more time, Ray.
3: Absolutely. The phone number is 888-749-3026, and I appreciate the time, Jordan.
2: Thanks so much, Ray. I appreciate it very much. And listeners, we'll be back again next week.
1: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answers Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.